Matthew chapter 16 is where we will be this morning. This morning's sermon is don't miss, might miss, can't miss. I want to read with you a little bit of these passages. We're going to pull them apart. There are three different sections here we're going to look at real quick. And I just want to pull out a couple of the broad pieces of this as we move forward. And as I am uh, a proper steward of who we have in the sanctuary with us today and what we have planned after uh, as the uh, business meeting is coming. So we're just going to get into it, okay? Where were we a couple weeks ago? Matthew 14, feeding of the 5,000. It's all I have. You and I need to give it. If it's all you have, you need to give it. Give it to the Lord. Watch him feed the multitudes and watch him have enough left over to bless you too, even more than you would have been had you hoarded whatever it was for yourself. A couple weeks ago, we talked about there you go, here he comes, security in the presence of Jesus and in the presence of his authority. As you and I walk about our life in Jesus' authority, on his mission, for his purpose, you and I are as secure as if he was sitting or laying or napping right beside us. You are untouchable until the Lord is finished working with you. You and I need to grab that truth now more than ever as you watch what's going on around the world Friends, these truths, I need you to understand this because this is where the rubber meets the road. These truths apply there too. These truths, if they don't apply in the chaos, they don't apply anywhere. And so as you and I sit here this morning in relative peace under a a roof with lights and comfort and and brothers and sisters around the world are struggling to survive and we're watching videos that are just horrible, you and I need to understand that the same God reigns supreme. The same truths are anchoring them that are anchoring you and I. And if they don't apply in war, then they don't apply in peace. I hope that makes sense. So we need to grieve We need to love, we need to pray, we need to pray for the Prince of Peace to come. In Matthew 15, we looked at a couple of different stories there. We talked about religion, our reality, and we talked about resolve. Religion is when the idea of tradition is more than God's law, when social standing is greater than obedience to God's commands, and when rigid traditionalism is greater than godly growth and reformation. What does it mean to hold too much to tradition? It means that social standing matters more than what God said is right and wrong. It means that the idea of of reform within the church is less important than what our mothers and fathers said was right or what they liked or what their opinions were. There's nothing wrong with tradition. We talked about that. There is really nothing wrong with at least one religion. There is one proper religion. James gives that to us. But there's nothing wrong with tradition as long as they match what the Word of God says is right, true, and foundational. Jesus deals with that. He deals with the reality. Where of the defilement? The defilement, the sin in my life, where does it come from? You and I talked about it a couple weeks ago. The idea is it comes from your heart. And it comes from mind. I thought our Sunday school class was going to hit this truth this morning. Instead, we just did the same verse we worked on last week and we had a good time doing it. Digging for gold back here. Resolve. What happens? We see the Canaanite woman come and out of her desperation there is mercy and hope and healing. So there is a resolve that comes and we're going to see it uh, today. I'm going to skip that quote one more time. I'll put, it on, uh, I'll put it on Facebook or Faith Life for everyone to read again about tradition and traditionalism. I loved it. I wanted to read it again this morning, but I'm not going to. Matthew chapter 16. Look at verses 1 through 4 with me. 
Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Before I get ready to read this, I want to set it up for you. Who, what kind of, or who does Jesus leave? The verbiage in this passage struck me as I was reading through it. So don't miss this truth. Who or what kind of person does Jesus leave? I'm going to show them to you in the first four verses. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. And they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. What kind of person does Jesus leave? Look at verse 1. They came to test him. Who came? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. The religious leaders that agreed on nothing but the fear and disdain of Jesus' teachings. They agreed on nothing in life except for both sides hated him, hated what he was bringing. They were scared. They were worried. And so for these couple of years, these three years, they teamed together to pummel the Lord. And most of the time, they ended up losing the battles repeatedly. Verbally, he outsmarted them. Knowledge of the word of God, he outwitted them every time. He sidesteps, moves, and dodges. And finally, he relents and gives his life up on that cross for you and I. But they had come together. They had unified for this short period of time. They had stopped squabbling and fighting with themselves to come and to fight the Lord. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come. Here's what you and I need to understand. There were signs happening all over. There were miracles happening all over. All they had to do was show up when Jesus was teaching, but they weren't interested in learning. They were interested in demanding. They were interested in being in charge. They weren't interested in the humble submission of, let's just go see what's going on today. We've read miracle after miracle that Jesus was performing They could have seen any of those signs that they wanted to see. Instead, they walked up on their terms and said, show us something. They were demanding. Verses 2 and and 3, Jesus charges them with the most dangerous of situations. Friends, you and I need to pay attention to this one. Jesus charges them with the most dangerous thing about your life and mine. Succeeding at something that is not nearly as important as succeeding with the Lord. Jesus doesn't tell them they're wrong. He doesn't tell them they don't know how to read the weather. He says, you know how to do something that is second tier and you miss what is first tier. You miss the signs of the times. You miss the word of God, but you know how to read the weather. Friends, we need to be very, very careful in that idea that we don't succeed at things that don't matter. We know what we're we're doing in areas that really don't matter. Not in this life, not to your family, and definitely not eternally. We have to make sure that our time and our focus are tilted into what the Lord would have us to do. If you and I do that, you will miss no good thing. You will miss no godly blessing. Jesus charges them with the most dangerous of situations, the most dangerous of attitudes to read or succeed in things that don't matter. Romans chapter 1 would say, claiming to be wise, they became fools. The Pharisees and the Sadducees claimed to be wise, but they had become fools. They had set up their tradition and their laws and their thoughts on par with God's. 
Verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation. He left them, and the judgment when Jesus leaves is simply this, your will be done. One of the most terrifying things the Lord can utter, the Holy Spirit can utter in your life or mine, is this, your will be done. Go ahead and do what you want to do. Jesus leaves. Jesus departs. What kind of person does Jesus leave? Well, he leaves people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He leaves people that are demanding. Expectation without honor is demanding. Expectation without honor. They come in. Other people, poor people had asked, had watched. The Lord loved them. He took care of them. He healed them. Poor people had asked the Lord to see things too. Every time somebody showed up and said, heal me, help me, help my child, they were asking for something as well. But what's the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Canaanite woman we talked about two weeks ago is they are demanding and she has a desperate resolve. She has a desperate resolve. She has a request with persistence. She is not going to let up. The Pharisees and the Sadducees walk in prideful. She walks in humble. They make a demand that he will not fulfill. She makes a demand and does it three times, and Jesus fulfills what she needs. Like They're both making requests. Yes, one comes in honor. The other comes in pride. What kind of people does Jesus leave? He leaves those that are demanding. She has a desperate resolve. She's going to request with persistence. The demanding walk in and they want to be Lord and they want God to be servant. She walks in the other way around. I am the servant. You are the Lord. I need your help. And you might say no the first time, but I'm going to keep asking. See the difference in the posture. They are evil. They have a desire to control the narrative. They are conspiring and shady. They have their own things going on that they want to achieve. And so they're going to use the Lord to do those things. And if he won't play ball, eventually they will crucify him. What does the Canaanite woman do? She comes in in purity. She has a desire to change the narrative not only for herself, but for her family, for her daughter's future. She comes in and says, Lord, help me. Lord, help us. She has a desire as well, and it is for the blessing of other people. She is open to what's going on. She bears her soul, and she is without guile. She lays it all out there. Because of those things, when Jesus responds in a way that isn't favorable the first time and the second time, she doesn't get offended and walk off. She doesn't pout. She doesn't stomp off. She sticks to it. She is humble. She is needy. She has nowhere else to go. The Pharisees are none of those things, and they never see the Lord work. The idea that he leaves them breaks my heart. The idea that the Lord would look at you and I and say, your will be done, should terrify all of us. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what is wrong with them? They are an adulterous people. They have divided loyalties. They want to claim to be loyal to God, but they're really loyal to themselves. And so dividing passion expressed in two directions is love or care of neither they have dividing passions they want to be honored and served and they want to pretend or to think or for others to think that they honor and serve the lord their passions are divided and that makes them an adulterous generation they are not focused like she is they are not intensely devoted like she is 
Passions layered by rank are a blessing to each one. You can love your spouse with all your might. You can love your Lord with all your might. You can love each child with all your might. And those layers are always blessed. But when you and I start dividing passions that are supposed to be given to one, and we start to divide them out, you and I find a curse very, very soon coming to us. So who does Jesus leave? He leaves the demanding, the evil, and he leaves those that are not focused on him. Look at verse 5 with me. Verse 5 says, When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Pay attention there, verse 5. What happens? They forget to bring bread. Jesus starts teaching about bread, and they get very confused. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. What is he talking about? We don't have any leaven. We don't have any bread. But Jesus said, uh, Aware of this said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not per, uh, yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven and the bread, but the teaching was on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus is telling them, be careful that their corruption doesn't corrupt you. And how do they process that? Well, there's a reason why they process it this way. This is the main point I want to make in this middle section. Your physical body, your physical body will mess with the message of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. It is all interconnected. Sick, don't feel well, this is going on, that's going on, you're tired, you haven't slept. These things will manipulate how you receive God's word, how you receive what the Lord is trying to do. In the case with the disciples, they forgot bread, they got a little hungry. Jesus starts teaching about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the corruption within them, and they're like, what is he talking about? This middle piece of 16, I just want you to understand the depth at which your physical body plays with, messes with, encourages, or discourages your spiritual development. You know, Charles Stanley, I've told you many times, makes the comment about you and I need to halt sometimes when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. What is that about? That's about our physical body, our spirit that resides in here, our mind resides in here. And when our physical body is not feeling the best, you and I need to be very, very careful what we do next, who we interact with, and how we interact with them. Known and addressed weaknesses can also be spiritual advantages, though. What do I mean by this? Well, the Bible commands us to fast. At times when your belly gets a little hungry, it helps you to dive into the Word of God. It helps bring clarity to what God is trying to say. Why? Because physically, you are bringing into subjection this body. And instead of having plenty, you are now reminding yourself that you are very, very needy. That's why so many people in their life can come out of a sickness knowing the Lord better than they did when they went in. Because that weakness was identified, it was pulled apart, and that person is now growing in relationship with the Lord because of that ailment, not in spite of it. So you and I need to understand that a spiritual truth lands 
on physically minded people in this passage. They're thinking about a hungry belly. They're thinking about having no lunch and they're missing what Jesus is trying to teach them. You and I can do the same thing. When you're not feeling well, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're angry, we need to process those moments differently. We need to listen harder for what the Lord has to say. We need to dive in deeper to what the will of God is and not what the will of our flesh is. Jesus rebukes, in verse 11, I love this, Jesus rebukes, but he doesn't abandon them. Aren't you glad that happens to us? Jesus rebukes us at times. Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, we've learned this lesson before. Oh, we're going to walk through this again. He rebukes them, but he doesn't abandon them. And so the disciples in verse 12, they get it. Like, oh, wait a second. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's trying to get across. Then they understood. I'm glad that the Lord is patient. I'm glad the Lord understands our frailties and our human body. Psalms says it in a couple places. It says, uh, Psalm 73, one of my favorites. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing else on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 103 would say it this way. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame and remembers we are dust. We serve a God that understands. Part of the reason why Jesus took on human flesh is so that our God and our advocate and our Savior would understand even more what it was like to be human. What it felt like to walk and sweat and cry and bleed and hunger. To be tired. To be wore out. You and I serve a God that was not satisfied knowing us, but, but in a, with a distance, he wanted to know exactly what it was like to be us. And he come and put on human flesh. Everything but the sin we commit, Jesus experienced. Betrayal, frustration, loss of loved ones, loss of a father. All of these things so that our God would understand us. Your physical needs... Your weaknesses, sin, temptation, and weights, and limitations, mental and physical, can hinder the Spirit's teaching or leadings. And Psalm 73, Psalm 103 show us that. They show us how the Lord interacts with that. He is gracious, and He is merciful, and He is loving. And He understands. We're dust. Fragile and frail. He is so good to love us anyway. Last passage. Look at chapter 13 with me. Don't want you to miss who the Lord leaves who he walks away from. Don't be that person. The other piece would be we need to be careful when we are around those people. Do you understand? They're not safe people. Demanding, proud, evil people are not safe people. You young ones, you need to listen up, especially when you get in middle school and high school. Some of you think as long as the person that's evil and malicious and nasty isn't mad at you, you're good to go. Just wait until you get on the opposite end of that. We need, to be, uh, we need to realize that some people are vicious and vile. We need to be very, very careful about how we navigate with them, especially in middle school, especially in high school. I don't want you to miss who Jesus walks away from. Something you can miss, though, at times is the spiritual teachings that the Lord has given. Pay attention to your physical body. You're tired, hungry, you need. Work it out. Break a sweat. Get up and move. 
You will feel so much better. Your spirit will be so much better. These things will mesh and they will make more sense. That physical body is made to move. It is made to work. Move it and work it. You will feel much better. Everything about life will get just a little bit better if you and I are pushing and striving to achieve things with this physical body. The Lord uses that as those disciplines to make spiritually um, us stronger as well. Finally, the last piece. Here's the piece you cannot miss this morning. Kids, here's the piece you cannot miss this morning. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's an amazing list. He said to them, but who do you, who do you say that I am? Not your mommy, not your daddy, not your granddaddy, not your grandmama. Who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Of all the things in the world, this is the peace you and I cannot miss. The question is, who is Jesus a hundred years from now, and I'm going I'm to push it out just so nobody can try to prove me wrong. A hundred and fifty years from now, when you and I are no longer in this physical body, this will be the only question that remains that still matters. Who was Jesus to you? He is Lord. He is Savior. He is Messiah. He is King. Those things are just who he is, but who is he to you? Just because he is king doesn't mean he's not your king. Just because he is Messiah doesn't mean he's your anointed one. Just because he is the, the, the one that has taken away the sin of the world doesn't mean he is your sacrificial lamb. You and I are required to answer this question. Baptism is really kind of the first sign that you answered that question. Say, well, have you made the Lord Jesus your king and your savior? I have. And so we do this public thing to get you started on the right foot, unashamed of the name of Christ. But that comes from answering this question, who is Jesus? Of all the things in the world you can miss, this isn't one of them. Seeds we've seen in chapter 16, we've seen the religious groups and the seed. If you remember the, the seed of the sower, the parable of the sower, like the first seed is gobbled up, right? When Jesus is, is casting the seed to the Pharisees, when he's giving the seed of the word of God, it's just being gobbled up by the enemy. He's swooping in, taking it off that hard ground, and it's gone. These people were not ready. What happens with the disciple? Well, there are times of growth, but they are frail and it gets choked out. That's what we see in the middle part of this passage. There's seed being sown, and yet it's being choked out by a hungry belly. The needs of this world, the things that are going on in their life, these things are still playing out in this moment with the disciples. And then finally, there's the seed that, gets, uh, that, that sits on good soil. And we hear Peter's proclamation. It is the same proclamation the angels made on the day Jesus was born. Peter speaks up. Peter pipes up. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds with 
Flesh and blood didn't say this. My Father has revealed it to you. There is the, the produce. There is the increase. You're going to hit and miss things your whole life. This cannot be one that you miss. Who do they say that I am? Friends, listen. Actually, that question doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who I say Jesus is. Doesn't matter who your mom said Jesus was. Doesn't matter who your dad was. Doesn't matter about that pastor that you love. Doesn't matter about that teacher that you love. It doesn't matter about anyone else. One day, it is you and him. And you have to answer that question. Who do you say that I am? It will be the only thing that matters. Who do you say that I am? Who is this I am? They start off by giving honoring and flattering titles. Well, Lord, I mean, some of the people say you are uh, John the Baptist. You're Elijah or the spirit of Elijah. You're Jeremiah. These are wonderfully high things. They are flattering compliments, but guess what? They are not high enough. Jesus is no mere man. He is no John the Baptist. He is no Elijah. He's no Jeremiah. John could give away his life. We talked about that a couple months ago. John the Baptist could give away his life. Camel's hair, locusts and honey, right? Like he's just a wild man. He could give it all away. You know what he couldn't do? He couldn't redeem it. He couldn't redeem his own life and he couldn't redeem your life or mine. That is a flattering thing to say, Lord, you're John the Baptist or you're like John the Baptist. Like that's an amazing comparison, but it's not high enough. Elijah could call down fire from heaven. Remember that story? But you know what Elijah couldn't do? He couldn't call down the Holy Spirit to take up residence in your life and mine. Elijah was a powerful prophet, a devoted prophet, a fearless one. You know what he couldn't do? He couldn't ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to take up residence in you and I. Acts like tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit lands. Jeremiah could weep and proclaim God's prophecies. He could proclaim God's judgment, but Jeremiah could not shed his own innocent blood. He could not have his innocent blood shed to appease God's wrath on our behalf. Jeremiah is a glorious comparison of love and care and weeping for what you see going on and then proclaiming God's judgment and proclaiming God's prophecies. He is a wonderful character to see. Devoted and heartbroken, the weeping prophet. He loved his people and he despised what he saw going on. But you know what Jeremiah couldn't do? He could shed rivers of tears. He couldn't shed one ounce of sinless blood. Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, glorious one. He is the one that has appeased God's wrath on our behalf through his sinless blood. Our titles today are not much better. He's a good teacher. He's a rabbi. He's a mystic. He's a good man. And these things sound great, but you know what? He's not a teacher or a rabbi. He's the truth and he's the life. Also call himself the way, the truth, and the life. That is Jesus. He is no good teacher. He is the way to eternal life. He's not a mystic. He's the Messiah Savior. He is the sent one come here to redeem us. He is the anointed one that has come to do the will of God that you and I could not do. And he is not good. He is far better. He's judge. He's righteous king. And as God's, as son of God, he is the very image and representation of God himself. As they come this morning to play, this Jesus is bigger 
than any title you and I can hand him. We can flatter, we can honor. You and I need to realize right now, even right now, I want you to understand, there's noise, it's a little warm, you're worried about your belly, we got a business meeting coming up, all these physical things are churning, and it's trying to rob you of this physical truth. Who is Jesus? My answer won't work for you. Your answer won't work for me. My answer won't work for our children. Their parents' answer won't work for our children. This question has to be dealt with by those that understand the concept that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we need more than just a good teacher or a good man to help us navigate this hard road. We need total redemption. We have sinned against God. Given the opportunity, we would have put ourselves on His throne. We would have killed Him and kicked Him off. That is what we would have done, given the opportunity. But we were not powerful enough. We were not strong enough. So instead, we stuck here, mired in our own sin and brokenness. And then as we get opportunity, sharing it with everybody else. Friends, what have you done with that truth? What have I done with that truth? And how are we giving it to the world that needs it too? Your family needs it. Your friends need it. Your friends at school need it. Who is Jesus? When he looks at you and asks that question, what's your answer going to be? If it's anything other than Lord and Messiah and King, you're in trouble. Stand with me this morning as they play.